What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 80 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. This week is all about you guys, so it's an entire episode of your listener questions, your text questions, and your audio questions. We'll also be doing a little bit of gear review. We'll be checking out the ANF Drum Company 13x3 Raw Brass Snare Drum. So, let's get started. <laughs> Did you watch the Grammys? Uh, some of it. I, mean, I didn't watch a ton of it. I watched, um, what did I see? I saw Ed Sheeran. I saw um, Katy Perry. I saw Beyonce, which can really confuse me. And I saw, um, <laughs> who else did I see? Not many. I'm, I mean, I'm such a, a jerk. I really don't like the Grammys in general. I didn't even. I didn't even know. Yeah. I all I cared about is everything that doesn't get televised. So I just follow social media to know did Snarky Puppy win or not. That's yeah. kind of all I care about. Um, actually, do you know did Periphery win for metal? Because this oh, was their I first time they were nominated for a Grammy. So honestly, like if if I have a friend that's nominated, then I. I I figure they'll let me know about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So I actually didn't watch it at all. I was here practicing and writing new curriculum for the 2017 camps. So nice, as it should be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. More, yeah, a little more important to uh, to what's going on. But uh, so winter's cold. Winter's, winter's wet cold. here. Winter's wet. Yeah, it makes well, good for drumming and practicing. It, it is it is awesome. I'm not tempted. Uh, yesterday was like the first sunny day we've had in a while, and so I rode my bike to work, and it, like a moron. I mean, I, I've lived here my whole life, but I'm like riding my bike, taking video of all the luscious green fields. Like we've never <laughs> seen sunlight in California, and, and I'm sending it to my wife, sending it to my friends. I'm like, check out my ride to work, man. Oh, and I'm like, what goodness. am I doing? It's like this like 90% of the time here. But because we had one week of Seattle's weather, I'm just filming everything. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like literally riding my bike, no hands, switching my phone to 4K <laughs> mode because I'm like, this has to be captured in 4K, <laughs> even though I don't have any devices that could play it back in 4K. You never goodness. know. I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's, that was one of the big reasons I didn't move to California, quite honestly, was I'd be afraid I wouldn't get anything done because I'd just be outside Dude, all the time. It's, it's pretty rough, man. And then my business is on the river, and you used to have to cross the river to get um, into the river, I, I guess, safely, like where they had docks and, and places for public to get in. Well, literally in my parking lot for the last year, they've built – uh, a whole new section where from my parking lot you just launch your paddleboard or your canoe or whatever you oh, want. Come on, I know. And I'm like, how are the, how are my campers going to even stay in class? There's no way oh, these people that are coming gosh. from like places that have the worst weather on earth and they're like, so I just walk down there and get in that awesome water and like, yeah, and you can yeah. rent a paddleboard and there you go. You know, so, all the all the rivers here are so toxic that there's no way I would ever get in them. No way. Well, our, man, our rivers right now are are like white water rapids because of all the water that's gushing out of our dams so i mean there's like full safety alerts all over the news like you have to stay away from the river you will (laughs) be in a lot of trouble so it's instead everyone's outside on our bridges taking pictures of like oh look Mm -hmm. and and it's because it's flooding in the river you'll just see random cars (laughs) floating down that got washed out of the house and then those cars and the boats that are getting let loose from the docks that are floating down the river at 200 miles an hour those are taking out our our bridges that the water is close to because they're just ramming into them so it's actually as funny as i'm trying to make it it's it's actually a pretty serious thing here in california lake oroville or the dam which is the i think the tallest dam in the u.s just is kind of busting and uh yeah it's so we had about 180,000 people evacuated from their homes about 40 miles from where i live because of the floods so hopefully everybody will be nice and safe and all will be good but speaking of safety it's listener question day all (laughs) listener questions smooth segue mike and mike safety that's our uh we're gonna punt this issue no we're not actually we've got uh, (laughs) what do we got we have like 15 we have a few that came in this morning and so thanks for sending them in at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and we have a batch of ones that have been here for a while um I'll, I guess I'll admit the dates when they come in as, as we read them off. So. Ooh, wow. <laughs> nah, maybe not. A little transparency? Yeah, a little transparency. But I uh, was actually pleasantly surprised how how much we got through the past couple of weeks. So it's not as cool. many as I thought. So please keep them coming. We're going to need more. We do have three audio questions. We'll drop them in later. But we're going to kick it off with 
a question from Josh Hobbs. Uh, he says, I've been playing drum set for about 10 years and practiced for maybe a year of that. I was a pretty accomplished marching percussionist through high school and college, but now I'm really trying to focus on drum set. I'm having trouble transitioning those skills. After listening to myself in recordings, it was pretty disappointing hearing the sloppiness and emptiness inside grooves. Mm. Those years pounding out notes on a snare, I think, took most of my touch and creativeness out of me. Do you have any suggestions or books that would help me build it or transition into playing drum set? Man, what and you can probably attest to this as well, but what a common issue. Uh, because, you know, I, I grew up with a little bit of marching, but more like you, more of a symphonic background, and then jazz band as well. But drum yeah. set was always in my mix. It wasn't like I went from hands into drum set. Um, but I was always in awe, and still am, of the marching cats. You know, you see ProLogix put up a video of some guy blazing his pad, and I'm like, if I had those hands? Are you kidding? Like, mm-hmm. oh, what I could do with that power. But... I've all of my marching friends always sounded kind of stale on the drum set. And yeah. I'm talking about the cats that could really do the marching thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think a lot of it is perception, but instead of books, my thought would be, man, you just need to like go deep, deep, deep into listening. Yeah. Like exactly. you don't need a book. You've already done the book thing. You need to listen and you need to watch videos of how does Steve Gadd sit? How does Steve Jordan sit? How do they hit the instrument? And then also, it might be a thing in your mind where you think it sounds empty because you're so used to massive note density. And now it's like, yeah, sometimes a groove really – I mean, listen to Gravity by John Mayer. There's yeah, some space, there, right? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, that was – I started out playing drum set and then got into marching band, so I, I was always careful of of how much of that mentality of drumline I let get into me. So, because they're definitely because I mean the whole concept of playing on a drumline is everyone has to match each other's technique, so you're always going to have to be compromising. You're going to have to play a little bit stiffer in order for it to look uniform, and you right. know, your stick heights have to be so accurate. And there's a certain roboticness that's just built into that style, you know, sure. for not good or bad it's just you want to look the same Uh, so you kind of learn how to play without moving a lot of your body you know you're restricting you got to march so your upper body should be really still so it's kind of completely opposite of the technique to play drum set right um and i had some instructors who really were kind of old school like play everything from the wrist don't don't rebound at all and wow while i i appreciated it and i gave my best effort i also made sure that i maintain a certain relaxed technique i just i refuse to to not use my fingers at all <laughs> i just love that you were you're bucking the system you're like i'm not listening to the man yeah well i mean well, i was like i'm gonna be a drum set player i'm not gonna be a right. professional marching band drummer so it, it, i think you're gonna have to unlock your body because that you're used to playing rigid and i think that's really why i think that's watching that is, yeah put up a, a mirror when you play drum yeah. set and just see Absolutely. like what what am i doing am i sque- am i clenching my teeth and my my shoulders, I mean, yeah. your body needs to move more. And then really the best thing would be find some groovy music and just play along to it until, you know, and just pretend you're that drummer and just, yeah. you know, do whatever Absolutely. you need to do physically to allow your body to kind of replicate that feel. Yeah, And it's just going to take just long, just like it took you years to get the technique down. It's going to take you years to get the feel thing down too. Hey, have, were you the one that, I, I I think I've asked you this before. And uh, did you recommend Yoga Nidra, the app, or was there a different app that you were using? Uh, no, not that one. Uh, what was but that? I mean, there was a different like relaxation oh, Headspace. app. That you're, Headspace. Headspace. Yeah. So I used the app Yoga Nidra, where it's this guy with a beautiful Indian voice walking you through muscle relaxation and preparing you to relax. And I actually used it on the kit for about 10 nights in a row leading up to the festival that I played in Mexico. So I would play a groove on the kit and he would say, okay, now relax your forehead. And that's, that's, that's not my Indian accent, but that's like how I hear it in my head. He's so, he's so whispery. Right. And so, and I had my eyes closed, had the lights down and I'm playing this groove and I relax like all the muscles in my face. And I'm shocked at the moment that I'm doing this how many muscles in my face are engaged to play a groove? I'm like, this is not necessary. And I walk, it goes all the way down to your toes. And by the end, it's pretty good. So for somebody that's really struggling with body relaxation, maybe just check out Yoga Nidra Light. It's free. So Yoga Nidra Light and uh, maybe play some grooves and and put that in your headphones and boom. Bob's your uncle. She reminds me, um, 
George Marsh, who uh, I think he's from your neck of the woods, San Francisco. Okay. A legendary teacher, and he's been writing. He wrote for Modern Drummer forever. A great jazz, kind of free jazz drummer. Um, He wrote a book that's essentially meditation for drumming. It's called Inner Drumming. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that's that might be something to check out. Where he's he breaks it down to something as simple as play like quarter notes on the bass drum at forty BPM and do it for like for a long time and just focusing on the whole flow of energy. I mean, it's you've got to be willing to accept like Tai Chi kind of concepts and yeah. meditation and stuff. But yeah, I mean, you have to be open to that stuff. I, I think it still comes down to what we said about watch your favorite drummers that you think look great and relaxed on the kit. Try to emulate them, listen to grooves, and really identify how sparse some of these great grooves are. That they're not very dense. And yeah. and then most importantly, man, have some fun. Yeah. Gotta my have favorite, some fun. My favorite saying is fake it till you make it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Just yeah, pretend totally. you are the drummer you want to be, and eventually you will be. Right. I think Benny even said something about that, about playing your guys' Modern Drummer Festival. He was like, I had to go play this New Orleans shuffle groove and stanton moore was playing right after me on the side of the stage like i didn't feel that great about it but i did it and then you know he's like i did the best i could and just grooved it so all right next next one comes from jesse uh okay so he says i am currently shopping for a new snare drum i have a few options in mind Uh, i'm looking for a six and a half by 14 metal drum most likely brass as I've been searching, I've ended up running across something that I never put much stock into, and I thought I'd throw it at the, at you two and get your thoughts. So, 10-lug, 8-lug, 6-lug, or even 5-lug snares, what are the major advantages or disadvantages going with those options? What effect does the number of lugs have on the tone, tuning, and control? Any insight would be helpful. Jesse. Wow. Well, we could just probably end this with 14 by 6 Ludwig Black Beauty. Yeah, which I think is a 10-lug. Whatever. I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> the, the drum sounds good. I don't care how many lungs it has. Um, but so, uh, so Gretsch is kind of famous for like my rack toms have five lugs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I have six lug snares, eight lug snares, and 10 lug snares. What, what have you noticed to be the difference when you're reviewing snares? Or do you even think about it? Is it something that shows up on your radar? Because honestly, to me, it really doesn't until I switch to like angel hoops and I'm like, oh. I don't have the right amount of yeah, lugs for this right. hoop. I think 10 and 8 are pretty widely universal. And I think if you don't if you don't look at the drum, you might not notice the difference. I think, I mean, the 10 lug obviously gives you a little bit more tension to work with. So you can, you can turn so it would you consider it to be Okay, and would you consider it to be better at fine-tuning the drum because you have more tension rods or does it make it yeah. more confusing when it comes to tuning it's 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 more stable because there's there's more lugs and less chance of them detuning um and you can get more fine tuning but on the contrary you've got more lugs attached to the shell so i say yeah you're putting you're, two more lugs worth you're of choking mass. a little bit of the tone so eight lug is kind of the more traditional standard. standard at least back in the day eight lug was more common some makers now only use uh, eight lug ron Danette only does eight lugs and air drums okay and it just it opens a drum up a little bit. It makes it gives it a little bit more overtone or whatever. I mean, it's you're talking about again blindfold test. I don't know that you would really notice a difference. I think okay. the biggest thing is is stability and just fine tuning adjustments. Six lugs is when you're getting more into a drum that kind of wants to live in the lower register. Okay. Because otherwise you're going to be cranking those each lug up so much that you know potentially breaking the lug. So six lug would be like your option for low fat sounds and. I wouldn't use them for much else. I've never seen a five lug snare. Neither have I. I and I, I was just—I think I said—but I was only referring to my my higher rack toms that come yeah, with the five yeah. lugs. Now, I mean, for me, ten and eight—it's not even a sound thing, or even a two more lugs worth of mass on the shell. It's just one of them looks kind of cluttered with a lot of lugs and one shows the shell a little bit more. Sometimes it looks cool on specific drums, especially if maybe it has two lugs that it has all this hardware on it. And sometimes if you have big fat lugs, it can look a little cluttered. So to me, it's always just been kind of a look thing. Like I just, I like the way eight lug snares look a lot of times because they don't have a ton of hardware on them, but it just depends on the, on the drum itself. Yeah. And I get, and I think it ultimately comes down to which drum you're leaning towards because I don't think you can get an eight lug black beauty. So if that, if you want a black beauty, it's going to be 10 lugs. So yeah. And option, if you want a Danette, you're only going to get eight lugs. There's no other options. I mean, in the end, it just comes down to sound. But yeah, I, I for me, it's not something that determines 
like I wouldn't hit a Danette snare, fall in love with it, and go, oh, only eight lugs? Nope. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. care. I'd be like, oh, cool. It's an eight lug. I'll have to call you know Angel and get some eight lug hoops or yeah. whatever. So. And his awesome. and his uh, his drums hold tension really well. So I think that's where it at a stage now where drums are made so well they can put the washer the plastic washers in there that hold tuning more or canopus has leather washers i mean there's so many options to where the detuning isn't really a factor Uh, so yeah i would i don't know what to tell you find like you say get a black beauty (laughs) yeah there you go by the way speaking of canopus uh do you know who ian barlow is i don't okay so uh well that's because he's one of my uh old bass players and that's not who i'm talking about ian barnett sorry uh (laughs) so ian barnett i met him through jp and uh, i'll send you the link or maybe we'll put the link in later but he's playing a canopus kit in this new project he's in Mm. and uh yeah they're sound amazing dude they sound incredible i mean his playing is phenomenal of course um so if you guys haven't checked out ian barnett yet check him out because he's he's just He's one of those kind of Zach Danziger cats that just does it because he does it and doesn't yeah. care what anybody thinks about it. But, God, he's, he's a monster player. But I, I was like, wow. First of all, we've been friends and <clears throat> stayed at my house when uh, him and his band came through town. But I've never actually seen him play in his in New York, like in his space. So I didn't even know he had a Canopus kit. Mm. Dude, it sounded incredible. I'll send you the link to it. It's really cool. Sweet. Right on. There you go. All right, next question. Next question comes from Powell. Uh, he says, I've noticed some top players holding their sticks behind the balance point on the stick, almost with the butt end of the stick in their palms. What are your what? thoughts on this? I've seen Dennis Chambers hold his sticks this way and recently noticed that Gavin Harrison does as well. And his signature stick is pretty hefty. Man, that drives me nuts. <laughs> what I, drives you nuts? I, I cannot stand that look, man. Like, oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like when people hold – if you do it here at camp, I'm usually like, hey – can you choke up on the stick? <laughs> Not happy with it. Um, you know, I think there's a couple reasons. If I really think that the drummer is doing it for sound, and they say, no, I'm going for a fatter sound, but I always like to play with five A's, so I'm going to the back of the stick, I'm okay with it. It's when people are slipping on the sticks and then just always end up at the very end. I mean, if you drop that stick, holding it at the very end of the stick, if you drop it onto a pad, it won't even rebound more than an inch. It'll just die. And then if you hold it at the balance point, it'll come almost all the way up to vertical. So you're putting a lot more effort in. And I think you have to be almost a professional drummer or have done this almost your whole life to really be able to pull that off and say, no, 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 I I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this for a reason. Um, But at at the same point, I don't really like... I don't like draw lines on my sticks of where the balance point is, but there's got to be a little coming out past my pinky. I can't. If your pinky falls off the back of the stick, you're losing one fourth of your, or actually for me, my back three fingers are what moves the stick. I'm losing one third of my sauce. Interesting. Interesting. Are you a back of the stick guy? You're not a back of the stick. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it does. It just depends on what I'm playing. You know what? And, because Pal sent me this message on Facebook of last week, so I had a chance to kind of think about it. And right. there's a couple factors. One is if I'm playing like a slow groove, okay. then that's when it usually happens. Because I don't okay. need rebound. I don't. But I don't it's need purposeful. It's well, I mean, it's subconscious. It, okay. it just kind of happens, but it is purposeful. And the other, the biggest factor I found is when I'm using short sticks. Like right. I, I need the extra reach, and I don't even realize it that it, it starts to creep out. So, like if I'm playing a quiet gig and I need to use a thin stick, the, in most cases a thin stick is also a little shorter. So then it tends to happen. Uh, but you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> wow. make a decision. But I have noticed like um, Elon Rubin, yeah, he he really chokes up on the sticks, and I think it looks and sounds awesome when he does it. But he also uses the really long stick. He uses like the one A Vader one A, which is longer. Right. I think depending on the drummer. I mean, Mark chokes up like crazy, you know, and yeah. plays super quiet. So everyone's a little different. I think, like I said, my thought is I'm using it as a reference for campers coming in or even new private students, where I can see like, okay, you're going for these chops, but it's not happening because you don't have. The stick isn't helping you. The stick is actually taking away your rebound. Yeah. So, you know, when I watch, like, you know, he mentioned Dennis Chambers. You think I'm going to walk up to D.C. and be like, uh, could you please choke up on your sticks, Dennis? Uh, because <laughs> but, I mean, Dennis is the guy who practices on pillows, so he doesn't need right. rebound. So everything he's, And his stick <laughs> is, is skinny and I think short, so he might have the same situation right. where he 
Like he just well, that was that was close, man. I mean, this is episode eighty, right? Yeah. I thought I, I, when I was saying what I was saying, I can see you on Skype, and I, I was I was looking at your face, and I was like, this might be the end. This might be as far as we get. He's looking pretty pissed right now. No, not pissed. You know, it's just a leverage thing, and I think it, yeah. Anytime I need to do something with more detail or faster notes, I I naturally go straight to the fulcrum point, but. Right. Most of the time, I'm playing more of a whip stroke where I'm just playing eighth notes. And yeah. I need the more. I just want the extra want, leverage. Yeah. And a little fatter sound. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, so I think uh, our consensus is it's a case-by-case situation. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're struggling, like you said, if you're struggling to play stuff, and you're in, then you might want to check your grip. But I don't use a lot of rebound to begin with. I just don't. It doesn't. Unless I'm like rolling on the hi-hat or, or playing doubles on the snare. So, I mean, Keith Carlock is way back on the stick. Yeah, and he well, plays and that's really crazy. fast, way back, and in traditional grip. Yeah. That makes it even harder, man. <laughs> that like, so I mean, yeah, I, I mean, uh, he uses Todd a Zuckerman, lot of finger strokes, though. Todd Zuckerman's kind yeah. of on the back too. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 case by case, and I think it also depends on the most important thing is have you explored the drumstick? Have you explored what it feels like yeah, to be exactly. choked up? be right in the fulcrum and be in the back and then make that choice musically, whether it be subconsciously or consciously, it's a musical choice to get the most out of the stick for that situation. All, All right. right. Dan, next question. Next one's from Dan. Um, let's see. So he says, I'm 25 year- years old. Um, uh, he's 26 now because <laughs> we passed his birthday. <laughs> That is awesome. Uh, so Dan, sorry, we're about a we're we're not too too late. We're a week late. Yeah. Happy birthday! I wrote Happy, you guys back when I was eighteen. I'm thirty four now. <laughs> Happy belated birthday, Dan. <laughs> so he's twenty six years old, and he's been. Well, no, sorry, that was when he sent it. He sent the email on February sixth, so he might still be twenty five. Yeah, he's fine. Anyway, so. He's been drumming most of his life. However, I've always been self-taught, and despite drumming and music being what I am most passionate about, I did not choose to fully pursue it as a career. Uh, in other words, I've never fully immersed myself in my drumming, and as one might do if they choose to study music at a university or devote their time to touring and other ventures. I worry that it will be impossible for my drumming to break into the next level if I never have some kind of committed, disciplined, fully immersive experience like this. And at this point, I may not be able to pursue this experience, having already begun other career paths. So can you talk about what options someone in this position has to progress towards mastering this instrument? Wow. it's a great question. I, I do think the fully immersive thing can actually be self-inflicted. Um, it can be a period of your life. When I look at my biggest growth – it wasn't at school. It wasn't while I was on tour. I was on tour for like six years. It wasn't during that time. It was actually leaving the road and getting serious about drumming. So I would say from age 26 to 35 was the biggest period of growth in my life because leading up to that, it was all just playing rock with my band. And so I immersed myself in finding the best private teacher within driving distance, which at the time was Pete Magadini. Uh, I kind of blocked out my social life so that all I did was practice drums. I woke up, it was pad time. I you know, went to work where I was teaching drums and mm-hmm. every t- and I man, when a student didn't show up, I was like, "Ho ho, free half hour to practice." <laughs> uh, I had every book that I could think of. So, I kind of took myself to school. Um, so I think it is possible. Now, like you said, Dan, if if you were 18 and the world was your oyster and finances were free and then of course, I think Mike and I would suggest, man, Go go to school, immerse yourself in it. But just know that you can do it. It's more of it's almost like fitness. It's a life choice. You decide. You know what? This is a freaking priority. I almost cussed there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a advanced funk studies priority. Um, but you know, you, you tell yourself this is a priority. This is a really big deal in my life, and you let the people around you know that this is what's going on, and you can break through. I mean, do you think it's possible to break through without having to? An, attend a music college or go on tour absolutely but i think you've got to surround yourself either virtually or physically with people who who are who are at that level that you want to be at you have to kind of know what that level is and have some way to compare yourself so i think i don't know where you're located but if you could find some some of the jam sessions and and do that regularly um i think I mean, even just going to a day camp or a weekend camp or a week-long drum camp is a good 
good chance to kind of see where you match up with your peers as well as the instructors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really seeing the instructors demonstrate stuff is when you're going to be like, that's I'm, I'm this far off from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I really don't think it takes a lot. I think if you can carve out 15 minutes to an hour a day and be consistent and have a plan of, you know, what you really want to achieve with the drums, you're going to see progress you know, over, you're gonna look back after six months. It's like, oh wow, I've really, I've really accomplished some stuff. Agreed. You don't have to yeah. do eight hours a day. I think. No. If you if you're practicing eight hours a day, you're probably wasting a, a lot of time. You probably have too much time, and then you're just wasting time. Yeah, I think honestly, a lot of that time could be spent listening to the greats. Right. And you know, I mean, and I think it's also a mindset. You know, the fake it till you make it thing you brought up earlier. Yeah. That's kind of it. It's like, oh, I'm really into Tony Williams. Like, really? It's like. No, I just said I was until actually one day I was like, no, this stuff's pretty damn cool. So um, I'm not speaking from personal experience. I can see that little smirk on your face. I think Tony's great, but no, that's what that's what straight ahead jazz was for me. It was okay. like I know yeah, I, have jazz. To, I have to be into this music because I know it's where all the great stuff happened, and it took it probably took ten years before I really could hear it and appreciate it. But it was like, nope, I'm in the jazz. I'm going to listen to a Love Supreme every other day for five years, and then finally something's going to click right it does happen and, that, and yeah I, I i totally agree and I, I think you know the other thing is understanding when dan when you say pushing through that next level one thing that i've really noticed between myself probably you mike and and the drummers around me a lot of people don't know what that next level is for themselves and yeah. you can't yeah. practice properly until you know, well, what is that? Is is that next level grooving like Steve Jordan or like Aaron Sterling? Or is that next level throwing down like Marco Miniman and Thomas Lang? It's like both are valid. I don't care which one you choose. But you need to really understand what is that next level. Because uh, So what's honestly, your next level? Yeah, what's your next level? Because, yeah. Mike, I mean, you've put so much time in the last three or four years on feel and touch yep. that you've broken through when when you post videos what no one comments on your chops they always comment on your feel your touch your groove right yeah, yeah. that was my I, my next level was getting rid of the hiccups and my timing that was yeah. that was what i needed to get that control it's still not there but i feel like i'm finally at a point where but I, you're recognized for it. it yeah right you're recognized it. for it because you just put in the time and i i never am like wow how come nobody f- commented on my feel or my groove it's like well i haven't put in a lot of time compared to my explanations of whatever i'm playing Mm. so it's like well that was the next level to me i watched every dvd that had ever come out every videotape that ever been done and said man if i could break things down like that cat oh that'd be the dream for me so you have to know what your next level is that's a good one i mean motivational speech over good luck (laughs) good luck you got this dan all right guys we're going to take a quick break from those questions and we'll get back to them in just a second or are we going to do audio questions or are we going to do gear review let's do um how many well let's do the let's get some gear in we need some gear we need some gear talking all pretentious for a good solid i know i know like we know what the hell we're talking about (laughs) and not to mention last week's episode was bass drum beaters we couldn't hear those damn things (laughs) so we got to hear something all right guys so we are going to review the 13 by 3 a and f drum company rude boy snare drum this was my pick of the week a few days or a few episodes ago i got this drum about three weeks ago um full disclosure i am not affiliated with ANF in any way. I'm still a 100% Gretsch artist. I ordered these drums on my own because I liked them. So I have the 13 by 3 and I'm just shocked at what a versatile drum this is. So this is the Rude Boy Snare. Now they come in three sizes. You can get a 3 by 10 So if you want that super popcorn snappy snare, that's $525. If you want a 3x12, that's going to be $625. And the one we're reviewing today, the 3x13, is $700. So you can check those out on A-N, the letter N, fdrumco.com, anfdrumco.com. So got the snare about three weeks ago, took it out, immediately sent you pictures of it, Mike. I was like, I got a drum. Freaked out. Um this thing looks like it's from the what the 1920s 1930s yeah that's it kind of has that that vibe like it's it's even kind of got the rusty patina and everything they look they look so cool yeah what are the hoops uh, are the hoops rolled those rolled brass just like the shell um so yeah and and they're sharp man they will uh (laughs) yeah they they i mean and and then the the tension rods are patinaed Mm. there's 
the details on this drum are unreal. So you've got leather, what would you call it, bushings underneath the each lug between yeah. the shell and the lug. Okay. So you've got leather bushings. You've got uh, suicide hoops like the, the old school drums, and then you've got claws that are patinaed as well. Uh, so everything has that look. Uh, ANF is making the lugs themselves. The throw off is just incredible. Uh, I will say this: uh, it comes with the the strings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you get the snare and you start playing it, it instantly starts kind of stretching those strings out a little bit and loosening and loosening. So you kind of so I played the drum for probably about three days and then I untied all the knots and retied them um, just to kind of and then the, and it was almost like those strings themselves or those cords had to just be stretched and then sat in properly. Yeah. Um, that was the only thing I noticed about the drum that could be a negative, and that's just if you're spending seven hundred dollars on a thirteen inch snare drum, you're probably enough of a drum nerd to untie some knots around the <laughs> yes. snare wires, right? Now, does it does the the bottom hoop have holes or a gate for the wires? Uh, it has a. It has like a gate. A, okay, so it doesn't yep. have like like wire holes. Some of the old no, drums no. used to have like just little round holes. No, this has like a little gate cut inside to the bottom hoop. Um, and the one thing that I was impressed with the most about the drum is the versatility. I mean, I when you see a thirteen by three, I instantly thought, "Cool, this will be my side snare uh, from now on." Yeah, not the case. It's been it's been my main snare on my kit for three weeks now. And you said you think maybe the drummer from Carrie Underwood is playing this drum. Yeah, I had to check. He might be using okay. the four by fourteen, okay. but he's definitely using a smaller drum by these guys wow. with Carrie Underwood. So <laughs> tuned, fat, like, super low. Yeah, yeah, it's so fat. I mean, I was really shocked how low this thing could go. And when you guys hear the the sound demos that I did for this today, I have. I want to make sure you guys know this is the stock head. Uh, so single ply on the top, and then uh, no muffling whatsoever and still my normal setup mic wise so i just have an overhead and a bass drum mic there's no snare mic on it and no reverb or anything tiny bit of compression tiny bit of eq but that's about it so now when you when you play their brass drums mm-hmm. i mean do you notice anything different about them like to me i, I was kind of just shocked at the low timbre of these drums and yeah. i mean it's just rolled brass right i mean yeah, it sounds like they had just like a throatiness that you don't get yeah. out of a like a more modern thinner brass drum. Like yeah, a, and it, it which translates to me into some of the intangible stuff. It just feels punchier physically, like more yeah. air kind of moving, and it felt like it was just kind of like the high end might be rolled off just a touch. It just it just felt f- like fuller, fuller than like a, a standard generic brass drum of the same size. And they're dry. I mean, I'm really yeah. shocked at how little. I mean, it's it's a brass drum. You think? I think we've it created this ping in our head when you hear the word brass <laughs> drum, which really isn't there. I mean, when you hit a Ludwig yeah. Black Beauty, it doesn't go ping. Yeah, but you really crank it. Yeah, yeah. But this thing, I did medium tuning, tight tuning, and super fat loose tuning, and. It never really had much overtone. I would say the the most overtone I got was actually when I detuned it super low. And in that case, you put on one or two Vader buzzkills or some moon gel or some gaff tape, and it would just be – it would, as Aaron Sterling says, it would be – Yeah. <laughs> it would be the perfect snare. So uh, we'll give this thing a listen. You can check it out at anfdrumco.com. This is the 13 by 3 Rude Boy Raw Brass Snare Drum. All right, let's start off with standard tuning. Not too tight, not too loose. Now, tuned up nice and high. Finally, low and fat.
Okay, let's get in a few audio questions. So we've got, uh, let's see, let's start with Alan. Hey guys, Alan Isaacson here. I'm hoping to get three quick questions into you. Um, just want to say thanks for putting out a really entertaining, informative podcast every week. Um, my wife, who's not a drummer, actually looks forward to it coming out every Friday, and we listen to it together. Uh, first question is, we were actually at a marriage retreat a couple of weeks ago, and they had a worship team. The drummer, anytime he would hit the rack toms or snare with any kind of force, the sound of the drum would completely go away, and it was just this really loud clack sound, like you were hitting a wood block with a lot of force. Um, without actually being there to hear that, do you have any insight into what that may have been, uh, whether that's EQing or that's microphones? Uh, my second question is for Mike Dawson mainly. Um, you had said that you use the Roland SPD for monitoring a click at times just to your own ears. I have found that trying to monitor just a click to my ears creates some issues with the rest of the band staying together, um, where I will actually have to kind of drive home the beat with just the bass drum, just to kind of get everybody back in line. Do you ever run into issues with that, that even though you're on a click and obviously keeping time because of that click, um, not everybody's staying with you. And my third question is for Mike Johnston. Uh, did you ever get involved in the yearly tradition of TPing Mr. Warschmidt's tree? Um, anyway, that is all of my questions for you. Thanks again. And remember to take it slowly and stroke it properly. Oh, my. Oh, boy. <laughs> First of all, I mean, one of those might land me in jail if I admit to anything. So uh, we'll talk about that in a second. I'm just stoked that I know how to say the dude's last name. I mean, he's always commenting on our posts and everything. And I was like, oh, it's Alan Harrison. Oh, yeah. Isaacson. Beautiful. Isaacson. Got it. Okay. Well, first of all, let's let's go in order. First question about it. To me, that honestly just sounds like clipping. I can only imagine that being clipping. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't even imagine exactly what the sound he was talking about. So that that must be it. It was just the mic being overdriven or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, either that or just a bad. I have experienced this. We do sound check. Everything's great, and then when we go to play, it's a bad cable, and so every time it mm. gets any kind of signal put through it, it just shuts off and goes click. So yeah. it's not even clipping. It's actually just a bad cable. So I would assume that's probably all it was. Yeah, I can't imagine he's hitting the jump so hard that it chokes it out to the point of <laughs> sound like a big block. The guy's not Thor. He's at a marriage retreat. It's, it's, dude, he's just trying to make some love to his rack tom. All right, what about uh, what about the Roland SPD monitoring yourself thingy? <clears throat> yeah, it's a good question, and it, and it it definitely evokes anxiety the first time that I suggest doing it with a band, but. Uh, it's not something that I would do on a on a gig where I'm playing with people that I don't play with often. So I wouldn't like show up to your you know subbing for someone like, hey, I've got a click track and everyone jump on board. Right. Uh, it has to be a regular project. It has to be agreed upon that that's the approach. Um, and you have to be confident enough to say like, I'm I've got the tempos. Don't worry. Just listen to me, and it'll always you know I'll be holding together with a click and i only do that when it's songs that have loops that kind of fly in and out or there's you know stuff that's part of the arrangement that we can't execute with the limited personnel on stage i don't see any advantage and i've had people try to get me to do that i don't see any advantage of running the click track for no reason other than the beer band doesn't trust that you can play in time right i've had that happen where but you know a couple guys that I don't work with often. I'm usually sub in. He's like, you know, we've been running a click check lately, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. That just that just means that you don't trust your drummer and or the drummers you're using just rush too much or something. I just, like I'm, I love that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that because it, it it would be a nightmare. Like we're going to do yeah, a song where he starts he starts a song on acoustic guitar, right? And somehow I'm going to keep him 
in tempo while this yeah. click is beeping in my ear. No, not happening. Right. Yeah. So it's, I only do it when we're flying in loops and things that, that I have to be in control, but it ultimately comes down to the band needs to be tight and comfortable enough to where they know, like, just, just listen to me. We're good. Just listen yeah. to me and we'll, we'll be good. Yeah. I think it like it comes down to trust. Um, so, <clears throat> and then the third part of your question Mr. Warschmidt was our high school band director. Oh. And uh, no, I actually never TP'd his house. I was never part of that tradition. I figured that I gave that man damn near ulcers throughout the whole year. The last <laughs> thing I needed to do on the last day of school was go TP the poor man's house. Oh, he, man. I, I, I've really wanted to track him down for a while and just say, hey, first of all, I know it really seemed like I was going to amount to absolutely nothing because I was the biggest <laughs> troublemaker. I mean, I don't... I missed half the school year because I was kicked out of class all the time. It was like Johnston oh, wow. office. I was like, all right, well, let's go, let's go, let's go tap on stuff down at the principal's office. Why is it always the drummer? You know why it's the drummers because because the band directors they, they ignore us while they're teaching trumpet players how to finger a B flat. Exactly. That's the, I was like, <laughs> Mr. Warschmidt. Well, first of all, when you drop a Paul on your uh, on your teacher, like Paul. And he's like, it's Mr. Worsman. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I cannot sit through the circle of fists one more freaking time. I don't care. You've got all these snares. Let me just rip. So, yeah. So, no, I gave him enough trouble throughout the year. I didn't need to go TP his house. All right, let's get to our second all right. listener question. We got Nick. Hey, Mike and Mike. This is Nick Murray from Poughkeepsie, New York, coming at you again um, with another question uh, that I hope you get the chance to discuss during uh, the segment <clears throat> of your show. My question this time is about timekeeping, and um, I know you guys have discussed it so many times, and uh, I just had a specific question about a discussion you guys had about vertical timekeeping and horizontal timekeeping. Um, the concept of horizontal timekeeping was made very clear. Uh, I just had a couple thoughts about the vertical timekeeping because I'm very interested in that, and um, I was sort of under the impression that it's um, you know, just making sure that all the subdivisions are really tight compared to, you know, the, the pulse. And, you know, it seems like a very important thing. And I'm noticing more and more in my playing that that needs work and I'm really looking to improve it. So I've spent some time already, uh, making sure that my subdivisions are spaced evenly related to the pulse, um, just, you know, on the drum pad. And as a result of that, I'm starting to notice that, you know, throughout my drum set playing, whether it's a groove or fill, the subdivisions aren't always quite in the pocket. So I'm glad that I'm developing this skill with my ears, but I'm wondering uh, what are some ways that I can sort of help improve this in my playing, whether they're exercises or uh, exercises in technology, you know, as far as like recording yourself and measuring against the grid or something. Uh, I just not exactly sure where to start or where to go from here. So if you guys, you know, have any tips or anything, that'd be greatly appreciated and uh, love your show. Okay. Stay fresh. Wow. <clears throat> love it. Is there a click track beeping? No, it was, was my it was my uh, iTunes was fading <laughs> into the next song. It's like, well, wow, he's going to end his question with a click track. I'm like, do, nice. Do, 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 uh. <clears throat> so, Nick, uh, great questions. <clears throat> and uh, I think I, I, I'm trying to remember, but I think the concept of vertical and horizontal time to me came from a guitar player that I was playing with who had studied with Wayne Krantz. So Wayne gave mm. him this concept. And the concept is that our horizontal time would be our metronome, our click track. And then the vertical grid of time is obviously your subdivisions, but you can have one be very good and not the other. So it is very possible to have great horizontal time. You always land on the downbeat. But let's say if we have a pulse, and inside that pulse, our subdivision is 16th notes. That gives us four evenly spaced notes. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Three E and a. Four E and a. If I rushed those first two 16th notes, one E were rushed, I could drag and a and still land on the downbeat of two flawlessly. Yep. yep. So in between each beat, and then when you get into 16th note triplets, you're dealing with six hits per beat. 32nd notes, eight hits per beat. So it gets crazier and crazier. So as far as working on your vertical time, it comes down to practicing with a metronome that has that subdivision built in. And a lot of, a lot of times I'll have my metronome, the metronome I use, um, the, the physical one, what's the boss one? The, Dr. Um, Beat. Dr. Beat has physical sliders, right, yeah. for the subdivisions. So I'll have, you know, my metronome, or I'm sorry, my pulse, my downbeats at 
all the way up to 10. And then I just put on the 16th notes at like two or three. So there's just this little hint of and I work on that stuff really hard. What suggestions do you have? You know, it's I think it is kind of hard to wrap your head around the mentality. What does it mean by horizontal versus vertical? Because they're both they're both kind of linear. If you really think about it, you're still going forward in time. But uh, the beatnik actually, I, I I think is a great mm, tool because yeah. you put it in. It has two different modes to see your. So basically, you turn the beatnik on, it gives you a click, and then you play on the pad, and it calibrates how close you are to 100 percent accuracy on the, you know, playing with the click. And there's a couple different views. There's there's a view where it shows all of your notes in a vertical stripe, like up. And then there's also a view where it shows you on a horizontal grid. So 100 percent accurate would be a perfectly straight line with no variations but if your subdivisions are going ahead or behind it shows you on a vertical grid how far you are up or behind so that that kind of helped me visualize what vertical timing is that horizontal moving line and then how are you ahead of it that means you jump above that line if you're if you're too slow it goes below that line got it yeah yeah so the beatnik is great for seeing your tendency so you just turn it on I don't stare at the screen. I just put the headphones in, play along for a minute or two, stop it, and then look at it and see, you know, where is my, over that length of time, how wide is that that line that I drew on the screen? Yeah. You want it to be as close to horizontals as possible. That has been a a game changer for me because that, like what you said about you can have good horizontal time and bad vertical time, that was my problem. Like I could play to a a metronome. You were always on the beep. Always be on the beep, but then when I listen back to recording, it just sounds really awkward and uncomfortable, but it's still in time. Like technically it's it's correct. I didn't didn't lose where one was or anything like that. Right. So it was the vertical time for me that was – once I got a grasp on that, it, it became like finally I can just play and not worry about it sounding like I'm you know swimming around the, the yeah. clock anymore. Yeah, no, I think it's a great thing. And there's you know there's different versions. You know, Billy Ward would probably have a great explanation about this. The uh, the guy that did the big time video. Yeah. But there's different versions in my mind of horizontal time because there's the pulse, but then that pulse can become its own vertical time of the measure. I yeah. have a lot of students that can always nail the one. But then there's 16 <laughs> notes that are all over the place in between every one. They just, you know, whether they're playing with the Yamaha, I don't know if it was Yamaha. Who's the one that did the one that actually spoke the words like one, two, three, four? The Dr. Like, Beat does that. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. Is that the one that Chris Coleman plays too? I think so, yeah. In every video. So, <laughs> um, you know, they always land on the one, but it's yeah. it's everything in between. So there's different versions of that. and. You know, Billy Ward in that video talks about feeling the pulse eventually in higher tempos in every four bars. Yeah. Um, you know, so in that case, it could be the same thing. So I'm just glad that you're focusing on this stuff, Nick. And the more you focus on it and the more you obsess over it, the better it's going to get. Even if, and I mean, man, you're talking about minute improvements that you're probably not going to feel. You're going to have to wait for somebody else to point it out to you a year from now where they go, man, your time sounds great. Yeah, like, that's, that's it very true. Because it worked? The, the better your hearing gets, the more the worse your own drumming will sound. So it's right. like you're chasing this thing, which I think that's what you want. You want your ears to be ahead of your drumming. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, it's frustrating. It's super yeah. frustrating because you're like, like now I can hear it and I can't fix it. But you are <laughs> fixing it. You're just fixing it not quite as much enough to right. catch up with your ears. Right. And every time you fix it, you you get a little better at the drums and your ear got a little bit better. So that distance yeah. between Always what shifts. you can. Yeah. All right. So we've got one more. This one's from Sean Blanche. So let's listen to what Sean has to ask. Hey, Mike and Mike. This is Sean Blanche from New York. I have a question for you. But first... I want to let you know something real quick that I listen to your podcast to and from work uh, in the subway, and I always get a bunch of crazy looks when I start cracking up at the various banter and um, the sexual innuendos from Mike Johnson that he never means to say, but just somehow happen to slip out, and really do appreciate it. So thank you guys very much. Keep it going. Uh, So my question is, I bought a Yamaha Stage Custom, my first drum set uh, about 11 years ago now. And it's, it's been through uh, the Florida sun. I'm originally from Tampa. It's been through a bunch of New York winters. And I'm just wondering, when is the right time to upgrade your drum set? Um, there's nothing wrong with my kit. It plays fine. Uh, I do enjoy it. But the more I've, I've played and the more I've heard other kits, it, it does start to sound a bit um, 
to use one of Mr. Johnson's words, kind of toyish to me sometimes, and then other times, uh, you know, it sounds pretty good, but uh, I'm just curious, you know, when is the right time to move on, and, and what do you guys recommend as far as um, sort of the next step in, in, uh, in my progression, I think, as far as genres go? I do really enjoy rock and, and hip-hop and um, R&B and, and some jazz, although I, I don't really play much jazz, but just curious if you have any recommendations, and if you could comment on that uh again appreciate it very much and take care guys bye first of all sean if you're on the subway right now i want you to look directly into the eyes of somebody <laughs> sitting across from you and try not to laugh and just stare at them and try not to laugh right now. <laughs> uh, money i love it oh, that's good, good times. i don't that's make sexual stuff. innuendos do i or do i sometimes just slip with something i think we both have yeah you know it's funny it's little... as soon as you start to say it, you're like there's got to be a better choice of words and there it comes and it's not right you're like hey, that's man. the wrong one i still am still trying to figure out <laughs> abe cunningham just being like hey mike mike little oil can harry just, i'm like oil can harry what why are you whistling i don't even know what apparently it was supposed to mean something but i missed out on it so uh sean man that's cool though that you've got the ear that you're kind of hearing like oh i don't i don't love my drum set because i remember there was a time for me where a specific drum set whatever it was uh anything you can think of that was like the it thing because maybe my favorite drummers played it or because it was made by a company that i thought was really cool but i'd never experienced it and then one day you just realize like man i'm starting to develop my own ear my own taste and i'm going for something and it's usually based off of your influences and listening to a lot of drummers and and that's always been my time to tell a student this is the time to get some new gear because you can finally hear what you want the hardest thing is figuring out what you want um mm-hmm. but i but i also don't know if it's a quality thing as much as much as it's a kit by kit thing you know i've played on kits that technically weren't the highest of quality but man they, they just sounded great you yeah. know it's like oh yeah. wait, this is a catalina club bop kit it sounds like the usa custom this thing sounds amazing um or whatever it was so um yeah i don't know if i have any recommend recommendations for the next kit you should get as much as it is okay to start looking and thinking about a new kit and some new gear because your ear is telling you that you're not in love with your current setup, you know? Yeah, I think the Sage Custom is Birch. I'm pretty sure it's Birch. Mm-hmm. So I would – my first recommendation would be get something that's all maple and have, you know, that – you know, it's still a general purpose sound, but it'll it'll just kind of open it up the drums a little yeah. bit more. So you, it yeah. won't be, you know, as punchy. The Stage Customs are great kits, though, I think. If you don't need yeah. to, I mean that kit'll that'll last you forever unless you're really yeah. hearing something <clears throat> if you're really hearing something different, then you know, I don't know. I mean it's I I don't know your exact situation. I would you might want to go more extreme. I mean maybe maybe you need a vintage kit that's three that's, Yeah, that's what I was gonna suggest. I actually know Sean. Uh Sean was at the first twenty one drums camp with myself, Sput and Mark, and uh Sean's actually a great musician as well, killer guitar player, great singer. Um, so Sean, maybe you're just leaning more towards that natural sound of drums and Yamaha. I played for Yamaha for three or four years. I was a Yamaha artist. I've been a DW artist and now I'm a Gretsch artist and Yamaha drums to me always projected really well, but they weren't that fun for me to play myself. I felt like I was kind of hitting, um, a block really the feel wise but then my sound guys would tell me dude your drums sound incredible so these drums recorded well they went out to the audience well but they didn't give a lot back to me when you play a more vintage kit uh let's say like an old slayerland an old or old and new ludwig i mean that ludwig new what is it called the classic maple legacy yeah Yeah. um you know those or or gretch brooklyn and broadcaster they give to you so much. There's this like trampoline feel to those drums that's mm-hmm. just incredible. So I think you'd probably enjoy playing them more, and it would it would maybe get you a little closer to the sound and feel you're looking for. <clears throat> you know, speaking of uh, gear announcements, I guess the cat's out of the bag, and Annika Nillis is now a Tama artist. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. Did you did you say Tama drum? Wow. You know yeah. what? That makes sense though, because that's. 
that's uh, Minel, Minel's the distributor for Tama. So I wonder if it was just something where it's like, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, Minel and Tama. When you go to the Minel factory, <clears throat> there's an, a museum of Tama and Ibanez. Uh, Mr. Minel has every Ibanez guitar ever created uh, yeah, and, and every Tama kit. So I wonder if it was just something where she loved that family vibe so much she just <clears throat> wanted to stay with it. Or maybe it's just a straight-up Tama thing. I don't know. I actually had no yeah. idea about that. She just announced it, so I feel like I can finally say Cool. Congratulations, Congratulations to her. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, I'm excited to see. I'm sure they won't gain any sales from that. She's not very popular at all <laughs> with everyone that's ever played drums. Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing her next week. So if uh, maybe uh, we could open it up. If anyone has any specific questions they'd like to ask Annika, they can email over well, mdinfo modern drummer. That'd be cool, man. That'd be really cool. So, so Sean, yeah, man. I mean, um, look into more of the the vintage thing and, and have some fun with it. I think that'd be great. All right, yeah. let's. Uh, we got time for one more text question. Uh, yeah, we've got. A, well, we've got, let's try to get a couple in. Let's see. Okay, we have a couple minutes left. So th- this one is from Ed. Uh, he's not sure if we covered this before, but have you guys discussed the solid bass drum front head versus the ported head live and in the studio? Mm. I think we, we have, have often. That was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think our, if I'm remembering correctly, but we both said, in general, you want to port your head just for the versatility, right? Uh, to be able to get, you know, you can take the muffling in and out quicker. You can get a microphone inside or outside. I've had good luck getting a, a big boomy John Bonham type sound with a ported head. So I don't think you have to have an unported head to get that classic rock sound, right? Uh, maybe in a straight head jazz, I wouldn't want to port, but even still. I would tend to go with a small port that's just big enough to get a your microphone in there versus yeah. a solid head just just for the versatility. Well, the other thing too, if if you're a pop rock funk drummer, you might not be used to playing. If you're a, somebody that buries the beater, man, that thing will buzz all day if you yeah. don't have a port. It'll 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 hit your shin. So um, so yeah. So I I, th- I would say I don't, besides my 18 inch jazz kick. Uh, everything's ported and in, in and a lot of times i actually have that one ported as well just because i'm not using it as a jazz bass drum or as a bop kit i'm using it more as like it's just my small drum set so mm-hmm. um and then man take the time take ten dollars out of your savings account and go get one of those holes cutters it's so handy <laughs> I, I lost mean, mine you son of a gun and i've had janky portholes for like the past year like I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm, you use a razor I refuse blade? to buy another one because I know it's in my house somewhere. I'm like, right, right, right. It'll show up as soon as I buy another one. It'll show up. So I've just been, you know, using God, a razor. I blade love and, that thing because I don't even have one of those um, rings on. I, I mean, it cuts it so perfect. I just leave it. There's yeah. no ring on it. There's yeah. no anything. So uh, yeah. So check it out. So there you go. Port your hole. All right, here's another yeah. quick one. Take that one, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> You might have to cut that out. <laughs> uh, All right. So this that is has from- to be a T-shirt. <laughs> port your hole. <laughs> Take that, Sean. I don't. Uh, think, I don't think you can port a hole. I think a hole is a port. <laughs> <laughs> what temperature does water freeze at? I can't remember. So it's snowing. Is it cold there? Good God. Okay, oh, Adam, he wants to know, Nobel Prize. Go ahead. what sticks do you both use, and what was your stick discovery journey? Man, what a – I I thought – can't speak now, but <laughs> I, that, was, that was a seriously fun journey for me. I, I always got a different pair of sticks every time I got new sticks yeah, when I was too. a kid. New yeah. pair – I mean new size and new brand. I was like, what's Regal Tip? What's Promark? What's Vic yeah. Firth? Nylon Tip? Wood Tip? Uh, oh, my favorite drummer makes sticks. Or I didn't know what signature products were, so I was like, I'm going to get the Phil Collins sticks. I didn't know that he must be a hobbit. They are like three <laughs> inches long. Yeah, those are really weird. Right? <laughs> and I was like, that was like my first realization. I was probably like seven when I got those. And I was like, wow, I guess I just can't do everything the way my idol does it. We are individuals. We are different uh-huh. human beings. Um, so, yeah, so as far as what sticks, what sticks do you play now? I change them up all the time, so I, okay. I can't. My journey even is, brands. Yeah, I mean it's okay. it's whatever. I mean it's my journey is the same same as it was forever. As I, <clears throat> I always wanted a stick bag full of different sticks. I never wanted more than one matching pair of sticks in my bag. It's everything: seven A's, five A's, five B's, two B's. Uh, I've have some the Peter Erskine sticks with the little mm-hmm. tiny beads. I've got mallets with drumstick tips. I mean it. 
I, I always need to just change it up because a lot of it depends on the volume of the gig and the type of articulation I want. So if it's a loud gig, I use a bigger stick with a bigger tip. If it's a quiet gig, I use a, a thinner stick with a smaller tip. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to be able to just use whatever. I don't want to feel like I have to have my sticks in order to play. That's right. just kind of been my own stubbornness of yeah, yeah. just make it work. So yeah, I mean, I have I have SD one generals in my stick bag. I have I have seven A's. I've got everything. So it, it hasn't changed. I'm always I'm always grabbing all kinds of stuff. I've got sticks with those rubber grippers on them. I've got sticks with grip tape. It's kind of like whatever. You know, let's just try it all. Yeah, man, that's that's perfect. Yours I is opposite. a little bit more specialized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I have a signature stick with Vader that I use. It's just called the Vader two four five ones. Um, but we make them in hickory and maple because I wanted to have a light pair of sticks in my bag and a heavier pair of sticks in my bag. So uh, the grip is always exactly the same. They are identical sticks, just made out of two different materials. So if I want a lighter sound, lighter touch, I use the maple. And if I want to really get some smack out of the drum, I use the hickory. The stick is the exact same length as your typical 5A, and it is the in-between uh, width uh or a diameter of the of a 5A and a 5B. So it's right in between those two. It's not mm-hmm. as thick as a 5B, not as thin as a 5A. Um, so yeah, so that's that's my stick. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was just at Gretsch doing this snare drum demo with all these artists, and it didn't even occur to me to bring sticks. And so uh, nice. they handed me a pair of like Vic Firth 5B somethings, and was like, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't I don't care. Drums as long as they're not warped, I don't care, man. Let's play. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, I'll, if if they're really thin, I'll I'll go to the back of them, even though I'm not a fan of it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll and flip them there. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All always. So, so there you go. Cool. You want to do one more? We got another. Yeah. This is not Let's the quick one. one. So, what do you guys? Have, what's your? This is from Harrison. What's your opinion on singing drummers? Do you think we'll ever see a resurgence resurgence in drummers who sing for their groups? Dude, uh, Anderson Pack right now. I mean, it's happening. I don't think. I think it's. You know, I don't think it'll ever go away. And I, I know a lot of working drummers who will tell you that the big reason they got hired for these huge gigs is because they can sing backup vocals. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. It's, I, biggest regrets in my musical career is not taking piano lessons early enough and refusing. I was always lip syncing in choir. I never actually sang. So I never really, really learned how to sing. Okay. I've got like the, my range is like maybe uh, five notes. <laughs> you know? And cool, I think I have it, less than that. It's terrible because I've had a lot of, of guys like, dude, can you hit that harmony? I'm like, no, I can't. I can barely sing it in unison with you. Like, literally, I can't. My, my right. muscles are just not developed to do it. Right. Not to mention the independence it takes to sing those counter rhythms against whatever you're playing with your other four limbs. Yeah, um, right. That's always blown me away because I, I, I would say I split my time on the drum set playing music to sometimes I'm playing along the songs that are fun to drum with and sometimes I'm playing songs because I'm a fan of the – the song and the drums don't mean anything to me. I'm just like, I just love the song. And in those moments, I'm usually trying to sing along, you know, in my, in the privacy of my own place. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't do the rhythm. Like, it's like, I just can't. So, uh, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time actually was a, a band called jellyfish and the drummer. Oh yeah. Uh, or the singer was the drummer and he was standing up at the front of the stage. So, uh, you know, and obviously my favorite drummer of all time, Phil Collins does it just fine. So I don't know how much we'll get. I, I would say Anderson Pack is the first lead singer that I've seen recently that was also the drummer. Um, if you haven't checked out, what is it? Uh, NPR's Tiny Desk Concert or yeah. Tiny? Yeah, Tiny so, Desk Concert. Yeah, yeah, check Anderson Pack out on that because it's just incredible. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think singing is, it's, God, it's, it's such a, it's such a quality that people that are hiring drummers look for, you know, yeah. it just makes I mean, their life so much easier if the drummer can hit the harmonies. Yeah. It's one less person to have to hire. I mean, you're basically doing two people's gigs and right. And well, and that's the thing is now it allows them to be like, okay, now it doesn't matter that our bass player can't sing. We can, cause I've always wanted to take my buddy out on the road with us, but he, he can't sing and it's like well if the drummer can sing the harmonies now now i can take my buddy out so yeah yeah i think it's great all right well well we got through most of them we still have we still have actually yeah we still got a handful but we did pretty good thank you for the for the questions everyone
Keep sending those in, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. If you guys get a chance, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review, and don't just click on the stars and bail. If you can't actually write a review, that that's fun for Mike and I. We, we love seeing that you guys are getting something out of this podcast. Uh, it means a lot to us, and we're having a blast doing it. And thanks for letting us grow with you guys. Neither one of us had ever done a podcast in our lives. And I remember episode one, we literally were like, is this? I mean, is this even going to work? Like, I think we did two or three takes. We might yeah, <laughs> and then we did four takes of that one that I lost the files on. Uh, and yeah. yeah, but but and then we had like three weeks of you coughing. It's yeah. it's been a, it's been a journey. And last week, I apologized for my stupid cell phone buzzing, and I didn't even know it was. <laughs> you know what it was? It was I was trying to look up that Nate Wood video on my phone. And right. it was next to the, the recorder, and it was creating that terrible interference. Dude, I don't know why at the moment it didn't even occur to me who Nate Wood is. Like he's on like some of my he's the bass player on some of my favorite albums. Oh yeah, yeah. He's that Nate Wood is the cat that played with Mark Juliana on all the. I think he was on Dark Star. He was the bass player on Dark Star because that wasn't Tim Lafave, was it? No, that's Tim. It is okay. Well, I know. I mean, Nate, he's done a lot of work with that same that same crowd. Yeah, I mean, he's in. I've seen a bunch of stuff with him with Donnie McCaslin. Yeah, um, and I think a little while ago I recommended a song by Manus Yahoo called "Broken Car." He's playing bass on that. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's the real deal. Um, I just looked he, him up again, and he's he's my age. I hate you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the worst? When they're like, Tom Brady's still going strong at 39. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Still going strong? He's an old man. I don't know how much longer he is. How is he not retired yet? I guess it's all due to the diet. He doesn't eat tomatoes. Those cause inflammation. I'm like, 39? Wait, I already passed that. Uh, All right, guys. Have an amazing week. Go have some fun. Sean, try not to laugh too much on the subway. I'll keep the sexual innuendos to a minimum. And we will see you guys soon. Peace. Peace.